You're listening to the Talking Rheumatology Spotlight podcast, brought to you by the British Society for Rheumatology. Welcome guests and listeners to this Talking Rheumatology Spotlight pod on health disparities. In this important episode, we'll be talking about health disparities in our rheumatology services and how we can help tackle them. I'm Pip Watson, a rheumatology consultant in Manchester and the BSR Digital Learning Editor. I'm delighted to be joined by three guests for what I'm sure will be a really interesting episode. I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. Kanta, could we start with you, please? Welcome. Thank you, Pippa. Uh, my name is Kanta Kumar. I'm an associate professor at the University of Birmingham. Fab and Nisha. Hello, my name is Nisha Dogra. I'm an emeritus professor at the University of Leicester. Wonderful. And Adi. Uh, hello, my name is Adi Adipadio. I'm a consultant rheumatologist and a professor of rheumatology in South Yorkshire. It's great to have you all. Thank you so much for joining us. So Nisha, I wondered if you could perhaps start just by explaining what you mean by the term health disparity. Okay. Health disparities is simply the difference in healthcare provided and the outcomes in terms of illness experience, so morbidity and mortality, a life expectancy between different groups and populations. And usually it refers to uh, avoidable difference in health outcomes. Thank you. And Cancer, what health disparities are found in our rheumatology services? I think that we've got lots of uh, movement uh, within rheumatology, uh, for example, reports like um, the girth and reports like the early inflammatory arthritis uh, data we're collecting, and particularly our paper that we published in um, last year. Um, when we're looking at late presentations, we have problems with access to care. We have um, problems in provision of care across uh, different geographical areas. We have a massive problem in terms of one-size-fits-all approach that our healthcare professions take. And demographics are very different and training of healthcare professionals is also um, uh, very different and that's causing um, sometimes a problem in terms of not recognising the health um, disparities. More importantly, our Patient organisations are only reaching out to a proportion of people. And that also uh, causes health disparities in terms of when we're looking at health literacy and the approach of the health literacy um, offered um, to our patients. Waiting lists are also a concern and with that causes health disparities. Having treatment in one area and not the other, that also has been um, documented and um, we're very well aware of these. So in summary, less developed systems across England in rheumatology are more likely to suffer health um, disparities. Thank you, that's really helpful. And you did touch on the impacts of some of these, but Addy, do you want to expand at all on that, please, for the the sort of impact of these health disparities? Yes, I do. Thank you so much. Um, I think this is so important because exactly because of the the impact it has. It has such a huge impact on the individual, on their family and on society and on all, all those areas. There's a huge impact from health disparities and that's why it's such an important subject and something that should be everyone's business. So obviously, in terms of the individual, it can impact on their quality of life, their ability to, to do things that they enjoy, to look after their grandchildren or 
whatever other functional task it may be, the ability to work uh, is also impacted. Uh, participation in society, and then the impact on society, both uh, financially, uh, it's so important because obviously, um, then people, uh, sadly, who could have been uh, self-managing or been able to to work are not able to do so, and there is a cost to to the society and to the economy uh, as a result. Thank you. Um, and Nisha, how can we improve these health disparities and hence the care of the diverse population? Okay, I think it's generally said that we need to gain an understanding of what is meant by health disparities and what causes them. I guess we're at the stage now where we know an awful lot about what causes health disparities and inequalities. And we need to really think about implementing what we know so that we can actually begin to reduce these disparities. What we do know is that improving care generally does make an impact on disparities, but we also need to think about training of healthcare professionals and also think about patient inclusion in service development to try and reduce some of these disparities. Thank you. And Kanta, it'd be great if you could tell us a little bit about what you've been working on, because I know you've developed some resources to help individuals. Yes, so we've developed um, a training programme and we're speaking on behalf of a very large team here. This is not the exhausted uh, list um, that you're speaking to. Um, our aim really was to provide a skill, an equipped, uh, an effort to really equip the healthcare professionals to engage better with minority ethnic populations. And in fact, all patients. And um, th- we've done that very elegantly through reflecting on health disparity training that we have generally in, for example, diabetes mainly. And uh, we've done that through working with our patient partners, healthcare professional, rheumatology healthcare professionals. And we've developed sets of um, uh, discussions, series of um, seminars and webinars and some role plays with patients. And what we really tease out is some, some cultural concepts and aspects that maybe healthcare professionals feel uh, uncomfortable at times to, to deal with. And I think the uncomfortableness sometimes is due to the fact that the healthcare professional might not feel confident in approaching patients. So we're, we're, we're talking about these concepts and alluding to a skillful tact, um, really for healthcare professionals and then we've tested it in four NHS centres and um, we've had very good results. Thank you. Just to give a shout out to your, your paper, and I'm going to let, let Addy come in in a second, um, which was published in, in Rheumatology Journal in July of this year, wasn't it? So if anyone would like to see the um, the RCT that you did looking at you know, an evaluation of your programme, which is, is a really um, admirable thing to have done because it's difficult to, to do that. So, so congratulations on that. And um, thank you, Addy. Did you want to add... Yes, uh, thank you for spotlighting our paper because we feel it's a very important paper and adds to the body of evidence um, uh, in this important area. No, all I was going to do is just to add a little anecdote and say one of the things that our team has heard is of people who have been saying that, uh, unfortunately, they have deliberately, sadly, um, not always given some of our biologics. I'm sure most of the audience will know that biologics have transformed the, the management of inflammatory arthritis over the last few years. Um, but we've heard healthcare practitioners say that they have deliberately been wary about offering these drugs, for example, to people from certain ethnic minority 
backgrounds because they are not sure that they're able to convey across, you know, the, the, the way they should take their medication, but also the issue of potential side effects. Uh, and, and clearly the answer isn't to not give patients this medication. The answer is to train the healthcare professionals so that they will be able to do so. And that's really what I want to say. And in order to do that, it means that leadership uh, is essential and, and we need leadership at all levels. We need, we need leadership broadly at the NHS level. I'm also involved very much with NIHR, the National Institute for, for Health uh, and Social Care Research. I'm also involved in, in things at a, a hospital level. And you could even argue right down to departments. There needs to be this leadership in terms of recognizing the importance of health disparities and being prepared to take action. It's important for us to recognize it, to discuss it, but most important of all, it's important for us to take action and that requires leadership. Yeah, high levels agreement from us all. I think Kanta and Anisha are going to add, add to, to your point. Thank you both. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to say on, on, on Ali's point really there about um, training the healthcare professionals and having this leadership is about also recognising that I think um, comparing to other specialities, we have very little data on health disparities actually. And I think there needs to be more effort, not just about disclosing conversations uh, clinically to patients from diverse populations, but actually having a recognition and being true that the fact that we are not collecting data um, from the diverse population that will help us to really um, craft and, and articulate, you know, how do we actually um, change um, our, our practices to to um, do good in the future. So I think more perhaps um, in terms of getting people on board in terms of um, data collection as well. I think a key um, point also is actually that when you start having training like this, you give people the opportunity to ask questions. So we also do something about creating a culture in which it's safe to ask questions, but also admit that you don't know things and actually you need to engage with patients in a very different way and understanding that they're the experts about their own culture. And we as healthcare practitioners need to understand that. So I think some part of the training and is also about creating a culture where we ask questions, but we're also we're encouraging professionals to talk with each other, talk with patient groups, and actually have conversations about what it means to provide care to different groups of people that we may not experience in different in our everyday lives. So I think it's trying to add something more than just specific training. It's about trying to create an opportunity for people to be able to ask questions, but also just create a general cultural change in which we encourage discussion about difference, but in a positive way, not in a way in where, you know, um, a difference is seen as something that we have to get over, that we have to, it's a hurdle we must overcome, as opposed to it's just the way that things are, and we need to think about how we manage that. That's a really interesting point, and I think often people see training as tech have done the training, but it sounds very much like the training's hoping to kickstart some kind of wider discussions and, and cultural change, which I agree is, is very much needed. And um, Kanta, did you want to come in? Thank you. Uh, yeah, Pepper, I just wanted to add to Nisha's point that uh, she's absolutely right, that it's about creating this dialogue. And uh, with this dialogue, it has to be some sort of recognition about the fact that there needs to be uh, um, an effort. When we're talking about health disparities, you know, it's very political driven. And... Um, 
uh, we can either accept and and I'm sure um, uh, Nisha would add that you know we've been talking about it for a long time. Uh, do we rely on our governmental policies to help us to change, or do we as healthcare professionals actually take the lead? I, I just wanted to bring that in there, really. I think that's a really important um, a really important point as well. And just for any of our listeners who are thinking, oh, this sounds really interesting. Um, in terms of accessing the training, in the blurb on the spotlight, you'll find a link so you can um, watch the training on, on YouTube. I, ju- I just wonder whether one of you could perhaps give our, our listeners just a little bit more for a feel like what that what would that involve if they were to sit down? How long would they need to need to carve out for this training and what, what might they sort of experience? Now, I know the listeners might think, oh, my goodness, I haven't got the time for, do, to, for, for doing this. We deliberately did um, plan this online, and this was for, from the feedback that the um, uh, steering committee gave us at the time of development. Um, it is um, just over two hours. Uh, it doesn't need to be done all at once. And we do appreciate that everybody is very busy um, clinically uh, and, and lots of other things to do and, and a life to lead. But um, it is online. It does take just over two hours. But if you could just give 15, 20 minutes per day and and just dedicate that, hopefully you will find that very useful, particularly if you're geographically in an area where you're serving um, a diverse population. Brilliant. Thank you. And it's it's absolutely wonderful that you've created this resource and actually managed to evaluate it as well, because it's a really challenging thing to do for, for training. So so huge, huge congratulations on that. I wondered if you'd perhaps like to finish with some key messages for our listeners. I'll start first. Um, Pippa, I I would say to our listeners that I think it's very easy to go to clinic every day and um, pick up your clinical list and, and roll with it. All I would say is just take a pause, stop and think about that one size fits all approach. Are you taking that or are you making an effort to adapt that one size fits all. I think I'd add to that by saying it's worth thinking about why we became healthcare professionals and if it's to provide the best care that we possibly can to our patients. I think we need to take responsibility on a day-to-day level for thinking about the care that we provide, how we provide it, and particularly how we provide it to people who come from backgrounds with which we're less familiar, maybe less knowledgeable about, maybe less sympathetic to. So I think we really need to reflect as healthcare professionals and take on board what we can do whilst we wait for organisations to do their bits. Now, organisations will may take forever but I think it's about thinking what can we do on a day-to-day level that improves our clinical practice to make our patients have a better experience of healthcare in whichever field we provide it. And and I would finish uh, by saying that uh, absolutely on an individual level we should take responsibility as healthcare practitioners to address health disparities but it's also important that we are supported by organizations right from the top right from the NHS and other uh, uh, national structures, uh, and particularly in the area of education, uh, the medical education, the royal colleges, uh, universities, quite frankly, even from medical school, uh, we need to start early uh, in our training and in, in undergraduate training for other healthcare professionals as well across both undergraduate and postgraduate. It's everyone's responsibility, and in particular, those of us who are in leadership uh, positions it's beholden on us to make sure that we drive forward uh, this is- this important issue of addressing health disparities. As some people have said, we've talked about it for far too long, 
now is the time for action. Thank you, people. Thank you so much um, to all of my panellists. I really, really enjoyed uh, sort of that conversation. It's been very, very inspiring to hear from you all. Thanks to all of our listeners as well. Please do check out the training. Uh, and if you enjoyed this episode, you might like our other Spotlight pods. They're also Talking Rheumatology Careers and Talking Rheumatology Research Series. Thank you for listening to Talking Rheumatology Spotlight, brought to you by BSR. Please do rate, share and subscribe through your favourite podcast app.